Welcome, gentlemen. We're going to be talking about resilience and motivation with a guest from Down Under. Stay tuned. Thanks again for joining us to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. If this is your first time, please click that subscribe button. If you're listening to us on a podcast player and it's like Apple or Spotify, we'd love for you to head over, write us a review, give us four or five stars. That really does help the algorithm and expand our ministry. Finally, if uh, you have been listening to us, you've been a fan of The Catholic Gentleman for a long time and God's put on your heart uh, the discernment to uh, donate or to help support our ministry, head over to catholicgentleman.com slash support or patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman. It's in the show notes and uh, we'd love anything you can give us. We have tiers from $5, $10, $25 and above. So check that out. So today... Very excited to be here with Jonathan Doyle and a little bit of primer of who Jonathan Doyle is. He's an international Catholic speaker, author, businessman, and executive coach. He has spoken around the world to over 400,000 people. His topics include Catholic education, Catholic charism, identity, leadership, uh, teaching well-being, masculinity. I know I've listened to one of his talks on masculinity. It inspired me probably 12 years ago. Um, Jonathan holds multiple degrees. He's founded a lot of different companies. Um, he also practices what he preaches. He's an ultra marathon runner. He is a, a cyclist. He lives in Australia with his wife, Karen, and their three children. Jonathan, how are you doing today? John, uh, Sam, I'm doing really well. I've been, as you know, up really early and, uh, you know, this is the best time of day for me. You know, you can get so much done. I still, my kids are still pretty young. So you get this kind of window where you can actually uh, get stuff done, get your prayer in, get some stuff underway, get some training done. So uh, you've got me at a very good time. If you get me after about 7 p.m., it's going to be a very different interview. Right. But uh, now, great to be with you guys. I love what you're doing. I just think the more uh, good stuff we can give Catholic men around the world, the better. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So uh, Jonathan is 15 hours ahead of us. So he he's in he had to do time travel to get back here. No. And we uh, are excited uh, to be with him. So Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't know anything about your your faith life growing up or your um, um, really beyond when you met um, my wife some 15, 20 years ago. So I'd love to hear where it all started. And uh um, a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks, John. Look, awesome question. You know, it's funny now at this age that I'm at, I start to notice as a father to, you know, young kids, just how kind of crucial the formation, I guess, that I got accidentally as a kid. Now, I had a, a very tumultuous childhood, but my father, who's been dead a long time, to his credit, uh, was really big on making sure that we got to mass and you know, the stuff that as a kid I used to hate, which was he'd always drag us right down the front row of the cathedral. We had to sit right in the front row. And he used to have these huge keys on his hip. So you'd hear him coming from, you know, the next postcode, next zip code. And uh, so what do I do now? I find myself every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., you know, dragging my kids down the front row of the cathedral, sit here. So um, as much as my childhood was was really challenging and a, a lot of trauma in that. But, you know, I often tell people that, there was a there was a Lent many years ago. I must have been about twelve years of age, where you know my father dragged us to mass every day, and and I remember kind of 
you know, we it was cold, it was dark, but but the the beauty of the church and stuff got into my DNA, I think. Um, so I survived the parlous state of Catholic schools in this country, um, which you know didn't do much to build my faith. Uh, and then I ran a muck for years. I drank professionally for Australia overseas. Um, so I did a gap year in England at a Jesuit boarding school, and basically. Uh, just, you know, I, I kind of partied very hard and, uh, you know, the, I guess the, the simplest vector of the conversion story is that even though I was all over the place, I probably would have been about 19 years of age. I, um, I just ended up back at mass at this amazing Jesuit boarding school. And, uh, and then when I finished that year, went through Africa for a while, came back to Australia and simply didn't fit, just did not fit in the circles that I'd been in. I'd been working nightclubs for years. Uh, and I just kind of, my older brother was in, was involved in a Catholic community and uh, that was kind of it. And then had a big sort of conversion back then through the charismatic renewal. And, and that's, as we say here, that's all she wrote. I've sort of been on that journey ever since. And, um, you know, obviously had a pretty deep level of formation over the years been lucky to have that we did time at the uh, pontifical institute so here i am i find myself now in my uh at 48 three young kids uh still trying to live a really serious life of prayer and uh you know and, and doing the best i can and, and getting you know realizing my many failures and flaws and uh but learning a lot of lessons recently i think in the recent five or so years, huge lessons around trust. Um, yeah, look, I'll wrap up, but I think, you know, my personality and my background, I was very big on sort of control and certainty and making things happen. I think the journey I've been on with, with God has been very one, very much one about learning to trust um, and let go. So that's kind of the, the macro level view of um, the faith story, but um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now. Oh, thanks for the yeah, it's really beautiful how uh, uh, God kept kind of pursuing you through those years. And um, I guess I'm wondering too, like, what is uh, what is faith uh, like in 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 the country of Australia? Um, uh, we know you've got. Uh, I mean, I hear that it's like one of the one of the more secular countries in the world. Uh, as far as uh, just the general culture there, but but what is the church like there, and like how has that supported you in your journey? Um, yeah, you know, Sam, you're being very kind describing the way you've described Australia. I think it's way worse than that. I think it's a complete train wreck. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's uh, with the exception of a handful of good priests, it's a disaster. Um, you know, I look. I am what I am. I, these days I'm a pretty straight shooter, but we, we came through the renewal and there was an order of priests, the missionaries of God's love, which had a big impact on us. They're still great. Um, we had the founder over here for lunch a couple of weeks ago. So that order of priests has, um, has been a huge blessing to us. Uh, where we're at at the moment, there's some great young priests coming through and look, and there's some great holy older priests, but in general, um, you know, they're doing a synod here at the, at the moment and, um, you know, I don't go down that rabbit hole, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not sounding much different to, you know, the, you know, the front page of the, of the Washington post, to be honest. So look, I, yeah, look, I think it's in a, I think people who are faith at the moment, you got to fight for every square yard. You got to, you just got to lock in and, and, 
and walk walk the faith. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's great here, Sam. I, I think it's in a pretty difficult season. And um, you know, I often quote the actually I've quoted this many times, but I, I Teresa of Avila beautifully said, um, it is in the times of greatest aridity and disenchantment that God's true lovers are born, right? So it's when it's dry, it's when it's just hard that, you know, you either lock in or you don't. And that's kind of been a big thing for me most of my faith life. Well, you know, you, to whom shall we go, right? Like, just because it's hard and it's dry, what, what else am I going to do? You know, just start watching The View and 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 check out, you know, like I, um, you know, the other one I sent to a friend yesterday was, uh, I think this is again attributed to Teresa of Avila when she was going through a, a swollen river in the north of Spain and the cart broke. I don't know if you guys have heard this one, but, you know, she falls out of the cart, almost drowns, and she gets to the other side and she says to a young, she says out loud, this young sister heard her, and she said, uh, you know, Lord, if this is how you treat your closest friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them, right? So it's dry, but, you know, the faith is bigger than any moment. You know, the the Spirit's been faithful to the church for 2,000 years and it's not going anywhere, so... Um, we're, we're bringing our kids through, um, we surround ourselves with good people and we just, we, we trust that God's got the bigger picture in hand. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I remember talking to a fraternity priest who had been down to Australia for like six months. And when he came back, he said something very similar. He said, if, if men in America last lack courage, it's, uh, it's, it's exponentially worse in in Australia and the people and in in the pews there that he was a part of. And so, um, so how do you, um, how do you protect your kids from that? How do you, how are you building them, building them up with, with right virtue? And in a way, how are you preparing them to um, go against the grain of the culture and society that you're obviously um, kind of steeped in there in Australia? Yeah, look, first points would be, I often speak about neo-Pelagianism, which, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of idea that that all we need to do is just try harder. So I'd love mm. to tell you, well, you know, the answer to this, uh, John and Sam, is that I'm just an incredibly good father and I'm just a deeply holy dude. And, you know, you know, the beatific vision radiates through our home every day. Um, it's not quite true. So let me tell you what we do. Um, so I've been up, as you know, since 2 a.m. And I don't, that's not every day. I'm usually up by 4, but I wasn't sleeping too well. I reckon every day, almost without fail, for at least the past decade. I mean, I've had a, a prayer life ever since I was con- my conversion, but I go, I just fight for him every single day. I do, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of prayer um, here while they're asleep. So for me, the first big piece of that picture is the spiritual warfare component, the kind of interceding for them. And it's weird, right? Because I've never been an intercession guy. I was never a Marian guy. I didn't grow up with a lot of piety like that. Um, but every single day, it's it's rosary for, for them and other needs. It's divine office. It's um, you know praying a perimeter prayer over the family. So that stuff is crucial. Look, the other stuff is um, we just pulled uh, one of our kids out. The, the Catholic school system here is just unbelievable, and we literally had to rescue her. And it's been the most mm. beautiful experience. We we pulled her out. It's radically altered our family life, like in terms of. I'm now teaching her as well as all the other responsibilities we have. And this kid has just come to life. Like, so we're doing, you know, we're doing that. 
we've been blessed with so many great religious around us over the years. So our kids have grown up with a lot of great religious. Um, the Dominican sisters in Nashville have been a big part of our story. So we were at their mother house last time we were there and we're playing, uh, playing uh, basketball with the sisters and stuff. It was just such, so much fun. So Karen through her ministry is still very connected. Um, so, you know, the, the kids have had a lot of exposure to that. Um, you know, our faith practice is, it's, it's not even that it's been a non-negotiable. We've never had to fight the kids. They just get it. They're just like, we, we're a people of faith. We're a family of faith. Um, for Karen and I and all our failures and frailties, I think we try to model it. Um, we invest in them big time. Like I do a lot with the kids. I mean, my son a lot, but my, you know, my daughter's just simple stuff. Like every Saturday for many, many years, I'd take at least one of them to mass at Saturday morning. And then we go have breakfast and play chess, just rituals, right? Just rituals of, yeah. so we, the big thing wasn't, we're going to drag you to mass and make you sit here. It was like, let's go to mass. Cause we want to pray. And you know, it's, so I think you got to fight for them. You got to go to war for your kids because the culture don't play nice. And let's, um, really Satan just wants your kids. He just wants your kids. It's that simple. It's not, not complex. Is it? It's like, um, and years ago, I remember James Dobson saying to his son, he had this two words. He said, be there on resurrection morning, be there. You know, yeah. so I don't want to get to heaven and find that I left someone behind. Right. So it's not triumphalism. It's not neo-Pelagianism. It's just that I don't want to leave anything on the field. I don't want to end up thinking that I caused them to stumble or that, or that I, you know, that I didn't do enough to bring them through. So it's a, yeah, it's a mix of grace building on nature, my natural kind of drive and also a lot of grace. And finally, just very careful with their friendships and the families that we surround ourselves with, not judging anybody. And we have a diverse mix of friends and, but we try to make sure the kids are around good people. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I'm grateful that you brought up neo-Pelagianism uh, because I do want to get into uh, all your motivational speaking work. And, and, and I feel like um, having that balance is going to be so important, right? Where it's, it is God's grace and it's his, it's his guidance. Right. But it's our, our acceptance and our willful, um, uh, like you said, day in and day out, um, striving, you know, to better, to better live that. So, uh, look forward to talking more yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. I got some thoughts on that one. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Um, so just to, I mean, just to bring things back to you personally too, uh, you know, just, just your drive, your, your, your kind of your inner fire, you know, to just go for things. Like, I mean, you can, you can just tell just talking to you that you're someone who doesn't mess around. Like you, you see something and you go after it. And I'm wondering if you're, were you always that way? Or was there a turning point in your life where you were just like, I need to be focused here. I need to channel my energy with that laser like focus and, and I uh, go after the things that are important. And, and uh, so I guess just where, when did that develop in your life? Great, great question, Sam. Look, I think my, my, my answer could be wrong, but I, I genuinely believe that many of us as men are deeply, deeply, deeply conditioned by our relationships for better or worse with our own fathers. I mean, I'm not saying anything new there, but here in Australia, we've had this big, uh, succession of prime ministers recently. We're, we're trying to copy the Italians in the 1980s and just getting a new prime minister every five minutes. But it's interesting because a, a couple of them, particularly uh, Kevin Rudd and the other guy, Malcolm Turnbull, both came from really 
deeply traumatic father family relationships and you see this drivenness in them and even recently i was reading a long article on russell brand who's got a huge following at the moment up heading with six million on youtube interesting guy and same thing just the father rejection stuff so and and last thing i was just before the interview i was thinking i took my son to see top gun maverick the other day and what is the central motif of that the central motif of that film is very much about fatherhood it's like it's if you think about it carefully, it's that whole striving of Tom Cruise to be a surrogate father. Uh, oh, sorry, people haven't seen the movie yet. Sorry, we'll give us we'll, right. we'll stop. <laughs> um, a spoiler alert. So, <laughs> so Sam, Sam, my, <laughs> and by the way, yeah, you know, Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker. Oh, anyway. um, so it's a great sorry, movie, Sam, guys, yeah. yeah. So Sam, we need a little button here that goes quick. Jonathan's on a rabbit trail. Um, but my father, you know, experienced extraordinary trauma so his father dropped dead in front of him when he was 16 they sent him to boarding school in england where he was really brutalized and he never recovered so my father just never recovered his entire life he struggled massively with depression with overeating and 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 so <clears throat> i think something something in me uh took something on board from that um and and I think that's had a lot to do with it. I think, um, I think that's had a great deal to do with it. That I saw somebody who, through probably very little fault of their own, wasn't able to live a particularly full, a meaningful life, and I saw them suffer a lot. And so, yeah, I, I think I probably reacted to that at some level. What else? Um. I don't know, Sam. I'd love to give you a brilliant answer. I just, <clears throat> I've just struggled my whole life. My life has just been a lot of struggle. I, uh, I come from a background of, you know, of abuse and trauma. And, uh, you know, as I wrote about in my one of my latest books, I ended up in a Salvation Army refuge at the age of 15. So I, I, I've always said that people like me do one of two things. You either stick a needle in your arm at 16 or you decide to get even. And I think, again, without mm. triumphalism, something in me has always wanted to push back against something that probably didn't want me to have much of a life. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the spiritual realities are real, that, that, that the enemy wants to make sure we live tiny little non-purposeful lives. So I don't know. I often question it because when I've been got into the ultra marathons, I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm like six, seven hours at a time running. Like, I don't know. It was ridiculous in the COVID lockdowns. I got to a point where I was running two half marathons and one full marathon a week. And wow. even I was like, I was even like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so there's a drivenness in me, but God's done a lot, you know, and what he the, the the journey he's taken me on most recently is this journey of loss and surrender um and what i've discovered is that that the the great paradox for me is that at the moments of increasing surrender crazy stuff happens it's just like mm. i'm the one guy that i basically you know if god had said jonathan you can just pick one thing you don't want to have to do in your life i'd be like i don't want to have to trust or surrender and then god's like cool let's do that <laughs> let's do lots of that <laughs> so yeah so yeah it's there sam I, I think it's to do with my dad i think it's to do with i don't like evil 
I don't like it. I, I mean, I, I, and I struggle as much as any guy with all sorts of, you know, challenges in my own life, but I don't like evil and, and I don't want to waste my life not being helpful. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, Sam, were you going to say something? Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, you know, I honestly love that answer because, I mean, when you talk to so many motivational speakers and things, like, it's all just about kicking butts and taking names and like getting to the top of the heap and it's just it's all about success but I think your your answer is so honest and authentic in the sense that where does that drivenness come from a lot of times it comes from a place of of suffering and and of trauma and where we're trying to mask that vulnerability with invincibility um and if you know if we men don't like to admit to any kind of weakness or any kind of, you know, even suffering or any kind of like we just just becoming vulnerable. You know, I think of that book and I honestly, I haven't read it, but just looking at the guy, you know, who wrote it, the, the you can't hurt me book. Yeah. He, David uh, Goggins. You know, yeah. 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 You know, incredible performer, incredible performer, Yeah, but an incredible amount of suffering in his background. Yeah. Um, and so I think there is that 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 drive to become invincible when you have been hurt tremendously, um, and um, but yet you know the I, we do want to talk about some of the benefits of of you know it's not all it's not all bad in the sense that just because this is a, is a response that we have to suffering like there can still be good that comes out of it like God can use and change that suffering into good. Uh, and and some some people who've been through tremendous amount of suffering are some of the people who make some of the biggest uh, impact on the world and 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 do become those saints that we read about, you know, centuries later. And and so I think there can be a great beauty there as well. But anyway, I just want to say I appreciate your answer and just the honesty of it and the vulnerability of it. Uh, Sam, look. You know, I'm going to jump in real quick. I'll try. So hit the buzzer if I if I if I'm gone. But uh, I'm I'm currently reading on this journey that I'm on spiritually. Uh, I've been reading uh, Father Jacques Philippe, mm. uh, Pierre de Cossard, Abandonment to Divine Providence, and uh, my director just got me onto uh, Wilfred Stinnison's book, Into Your Hands, Father. So what I've learned, like really simply. I've struggled my whole life with the concept of God's will. Like I, I've really, it's been a big problem for me. And this is what they've been teaching me in these books is basically that, you know, God's will is whatever's happening in your life, right? Because God's God and he's in charge of the cosmos, but even the suffering and, and the phenomenal way that God can bring good out of bad. It, it was like, it was no brainer. I should know that. But when I read it from Sinison the other day, I was like, the ultimate example is the cross, right? Because it's it's the ultimate example of of loss and suffering, but through that comes the most unbelievable cosmic benefit, right? Like the whole cosmos is is reclaimed. So suffering, I'm learning, it, it, it will either lead us into something magnificent, or it will crush us into cynicism and sarcasm and 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 you know, resentment and bitterness. And the last thing just on this, you know, kicking butt and taking names, right. Is, you know, because of the trauma and abuse background, I suffered for decades with panic anxiety disorder, PTSD, um, major depression. And 
you know, I was a high functioner, right? So I just functioned all the way through it mm. and, and could force myself to function. And, and the two times where I was forced in life into major abandonment and trust, crazy stuff happened. And very quickly what they were was I, um, I, I, Karen wouldn't go out on a date with me for three years. She flat refused to go out with me. So I, I stalked her. No, no, I stayed persistent. Um, and <laughs> there was this moment many years ago where she was leaving to go on an overseas trip for three months. And I finally agreed that I would not, that she was never going to go out. But I finally had this spiritual acceptance and trust. And then I went around to see her the night before she left. And I said, Hey, look, I finally understood that um, we're not going to be together. And I just can't wish you the best and blah, blah, blah. And at that moment she turned around and said, I've changed my mind. I really think we should go out together. And it was the weirdest thing. Cause it was like, I just spent four years trying to force this to happen. And the minute that I finally surrender, it just happens. And we, you know, we had our 21st wedding anniversary last week. That was one big one that changed the arc of my life. And the other one, and I want to be quick on it, is when I got invited to do the keynote for the NCA convention in St. Louis, you know, we had about 10,000 teachers in the room. Okay, so you got 10,000 people in front of you. Who's the one guy you don't want doing the keynote? You know, the guy with the panic disorder background, right? The guy that, that has a long history of panic attacks. So God's human is great. God's like, let's get somebody who's got a real history of panic and and uh, and cracking under pressure. Let's put them on the stage. So that keynote was the end point of a very long journey of, you know, speaking, but I've been speaking for many years, but muscling through true story just before I go on stage and you can see the video, Karen is talking to me and she said exact words. She goes, are you nervous? And I said, I said, you know what? I said, I'm actually not. And I turned, I said, why are you asking? And she said, I'm terrified for you. I said, why? And she goes, but what if you go up there and you have a panic? And I said, stop, would you just stop? All right. That's not helping. <laughs> so what happens next is you can see it on the video. It's on the one Catholic teacher website on the speaking page. And Tom Burnford does the intro, I walk up on stage. And I tell you what happened at that moment, right at that moment, as I walk on stage, I finally realized for the first time in my life that I could not I could not pull this off. I fundamentally knew that if I was going to try and manage the, the anxiety, the need to do well, the need to not screw it up, it was going to break me. It was going to break me right on that stage in front of everybody. And what would have happened was a classic panic attack. I would have lost the ability to breathe properly and I just would have locked hmm. in front of 10,000 people. And right at that moment, I finally surrendered. I just went, I can't do this anymore. And I truly, for the first time, surrendered to the provision of God in that exact moment. And I tell you, the most remarkable things happened. It was the most phenomenal keynote. And I'm not saying that I was great, but weird stuff happened. It just reached so many people. So Sam, that is my long way of saying that both suffering and surrender rather than rabid triumphalism have got me to this point. That doesn't mean there isn't a place for men to do highly courageous tough things, but you know, let's not make this complex. Just look at Christ. I mean, his greatest victory comes through surrender and suffering. So let's just yeah. do what he did and it'll be, things will work out. Yeah. Well, amen. Yeah. I'm going to second uh, Sam and thank you for your honesty. I mean, there's so many men listening to this podcast who um, are struggling with that. They're 20, 30 years, um, you know, behind you and, um, and, you know, maybe they're struggling with trauma and they're thinking about turning, um, 
you know, to, to cynicism and, and depression and, and, you know, I really appreciate just that honesty and, and hearing your struggle. And, you know, another thing you were saying earlier, I was talking to a Franciscan Friar the Renewal recently, and we were talking about fatherhood. And we were talking about the effects, because he works with the homeless and addicts day in and day out. And he's been doing this for years. And he said to me that, John, it is scandalous how much a father's love and a father's demeanor affects the children and that just the homeless individuals and the addicts that he's working with, he said across the board have broken fathers Mm -hmm. and have, have broken relationships with their fathers. And it's just, you know, something for us to be reminded of, but at the same time, as you've already uh, moved towards as God's grace is sufficient, it'll be there for us as we, um, as, as long as we turn to it. So He's the, he's the healer of generations. So um, many years ago when I was trying to work through depression and stuff for the first time and, and the abuse stuff, I was speaking to a, a Catholic psychologist who talked about what I call a hero concept. Is it like a, mm-hmm. that, that families come down a generational line, you know, for generation after generation and the same dysfunctions repeated. And then you get a certain by grace you, you'll get somebody in a generation who shifts the line who who moves the generational pattern so if that's all i do um i'm good i'm good you know i, I yeah I, I, look a, a super yacht would have been nice i do like <laughs> super yachts um um but but you know but just the fact that in all my imperfections around fatherhood um you know if i if, if i get them over the line i win that one um you yeah. know i just you know, I'm high, I just try to be highly affectionate with the kids and engaged. And, um, you know, my son and I, he's now, Aiden is 12 and a half. So they've grown up on the back of the motorbike. So we're just going to jump on the motorbike and um, do a 2000 kilometer trip up to Queensland together. So we try to build this stuff in, but yeah, I just, just keep trying to make sure that it ends in this generation and we get um, a good rebuild for the next, the next generation. Oh, coming through. God. Yeah, no, I appreciate yeah, that. that and and uh, I think it's Deuteronomy. You know, I just I love that. I, ironically, that passage where it talks about you know the the sins of the fathers will be visited to seven generations, and it's not like God's punitively punishing, but just sin has consequences for generations. But the beautiful thing is that righteousness does as well, holiness does as well, where you can reverse that current and turn it in a completely other direction and by God's grace, leave a legacy for seven generations of holiness and goodness um, by that choice. And I, I've heard from many fathers, I think the Holy Spirit is, is, is taking the remnants of the kind of the pain and suffering that came out of the sexual revolution and came out of the breakdown of the nuclear family. And I think the Holy Spirit is waking up men today. And I think there is a movement of men, many men uh, across our society uh, who are waking up and saying, I want to do something, I want to do things differently. And, mm. and I really do think that is a movement of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I agree, my friend. I agree. Um, I agree. What can I say? I, you know, Benedict Pope, Benedict was big on the fatherlessness. We, he sort of saw it at the root of a lot of the problems besetting the developed world. So, you know, 
the culture that we inhabit at the moment is is just ramping up radically on put it this way benedict pope benedict was always big on the givenness of nature so he was like creation itself is a gift given to us reality itself is a is a gift given to us the ontological truths of our personhood so our maleness our femaleness the the beauty of fatherhood and motherhood are ontological things like they're essential to what we are and our culture is like sorry no nah, we're not buying it our culture is is basically you know a kind of scientific uh, marxist scientific materialism in the sense that it's totally malleable right so we can shape reality anyway we can say that we don't necessarily need fathers we can raise kids with a village we can raise kids this way that way but reality is god is not mocked it's like sorry no nah, look <laughs> When when imperfect fathers do a really good job and try their best, good things happen. It's just an ontological given. So, yeah. you know, we can we can uh, culturally we can deny it. You know, Churchill said about the truth, right? He said you can deny it, you can you can suppress it, but in the end, there it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. So absolutely. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate it. I want to take um I want to take the rest of our time together, and I want to shift to something. I want to shift to this conversation of of uh, sloth and acedia, you know, things that you in your lifestyle have been combating. And I think it's something. <clears throat> I'm going to say something maybe a bit um, uh, provocative or ruffle some feathers, but we know that, you know, pride being the principle of vices, but I'd argue that even today uh, sloth is, is, is taking a, a close second, if not surpassing it uh, because of, you know, convenience. We all experienced it during COVID where, where we've been experiencing with the digital, you know, it's so much easier to, to just make a false image of ourselves with a filter versus actually having to get up, get dress, get ready, go out, meet people. Um, we have, uh, you know, just this, this constant um, convenience is our, is our goal in life, it seems, you know, I don't want to go, I want to get, you know, Texas Roadhouse or Chili's or these different restaurants over here, but I don't actually have to want to go and get ready to get that. So I'm just going to pay five bucks and get somebody actually, you know, pay somebody to bring yeah. it to me and stuff. And this I, I mean, I know from from the beginning, this sort of, you know, Cedia being kind of like a spiritual loathing, a, a, you know, a kind of an inner emptiness, um, you know, versus sloth, but not really trying to trying to break those things apart. But I'd love to hear from you as in what you see as um as a way forward or as kind of, you know, uh, affirming this sort of, you know, experience that I've been having and seeing in the hearts of men today, modern man, you know, that's struggling from this. I just love to hear your thoughts, you know, going from, from what you've struggled with clearly, but you have worked hard to overcome and what we see so many men just kind of falling into and becoming prey to, um, to the yeah. advice. Okay. Uh, John, the first thing you, you picked up on really well was the kind of anthropological aspect of it in terms of, I guess we call it evolutionary psychology, right? So mm. as a student of history, for, for most of human history, I said this to my daughter yesterday because I'm teaching a world history, you, you only ever had three things to think about. When you wake up each morning, you were like, how can I, how can I not starve to death? How can I not be killed by somebody? And how can I not get some horrific disease? That's basically it for, for most of human history. So we've been homo sapiens for 350,000 years. First civilizations only start around four and a half thousand years ago. So that's a pretty small window. So we go from nothing other than survival 
where relationships were crucial because you had to rely on a very small group of people and build strong connection with them to a world that you've articulated, which is just, we, we, in terms of evolutionary psychology, we're not fit for, we, we, we just, the level of distraction consumption is, is just our bodies and brains are not ready for it. So Yes, first point, there are so many things that make it incredibly easy to do almost nothing. And then you've got a kind of political system which encourages it. So you've got a political system that just goes, um, you know, we build a bigger and bigger state apparatus to provide for more and more areas of human life so that, and I'm not saying there aren't needs of people who have genuine needs that can't provide for themselves. But so, yeah, it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm at the moment um, of of that would create the conditions by which men can sit on the metaphorical couch of life and do nothing. What's the answer? Conversion of heart. Like I think obviously being caught up in a bigger story. Uh, I think so many guys are in the wrong story. It's a story of distraction and comfort, but there's a much bigger story out there that, that matches the truth of who we are. So for me, I don't know what it is. I'm trying to get to the mechanism, Sam. Like you, you, we talked yeah. about before, but maybe I can shape it this way. In all the work that I've done in terms of, you know, motivation, speaking, coaching, the one thing that has always fascinated me is you can have two people who have the same experience, two men who grow up with the same trauma and difficulties. One of them does something remarkable with it. One doesn't. And that mechanism is the mystery. It's the mystery that I still can't quite figure out. Like some people just stay there. They, they stay there. They stay, they, they, they don't know how to get out. Um, so I want to give you a brilliant answer, but I'm still trying to work it well, out myself. Maybe somebody realizes this is about themselves and how do we inspire that fire within them, right? How do we, maybe that's that's the approach is, is yeah. So somebody realizes that they want to get out of this rut that they are in. They want to get out of this, this uh, cycle of insanity where they just continually, you know, stay up too late watching TV, binge watching, scrolling on their phones, hoping to see something entertaining or engaging to them and then realize two hours have gone by and then they're going to go to sleep and they don't wake up and have good prayer time, et cetera. So um, um, how do we, how do we inspire that fire within? How do we help make men become like St. Sebastian's or St. Maximilian Colby's that are willing to, you know, just live this, this ultra marathon of life. And, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, with there, where do we start? Okay. So two things. The first thing is, uh, is to use the power of questions. So often if I'm coaching or speaking, Questions have an enormous power to kind of cut through. So questions like, if if nothing changes, or the statement is, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? So to say to a guy, look, if you don't do something here, your life is going to look like this forever, okay? It's, it's like Groundhog Day, but there's no resolution. This is going to be, you're going to weigh the same amount. You're going to have the same quality relationships or lack of relationships. You're going to have the same addictions. If you do nothing, then, you know, nothing changes, you know? So other principles that I teach could be helpful are the second law of thermodynamics. I used to teach that as a principle, which is that the universe is kind of moving from a hotter state to a colder state. So energy left to itself decreases and goes to a colder state. So you've got to keep putting inputs into the system. You've got to keep doing things, trying things, 
Because if you don't, we end up at homeostasis. We drift back to the baseline over and over again. So as, as a human animal, we have evolved for comfort and safety and to conserve energy, right? That's literally like our bodies are trying to constantly conserve energy. They're kind of all the time. So left to ourselves, we keep reverting. We'll keep reverting. So the first thing I'd say is to every guy listening, if you don't change something in your life, either small or radical, what do things look like for you in 10 years? What if your body's the same way in 10 years or your relationships, right? So there's that question. And that should create a some level of discomfort. Because even as much as I, you know, have a good life, if someone said to me, Jonathan, if your life is exactly the same in 10 years, you're good with that? I'd be like, nah, not good with that. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I still want to experience and contribute. So questions is the first part. Ask, ask good questions. Second part. I'm really convinced in the last few weeks recently about the incredible importance of habits. You know, it's one of those things people go, yeah, I've got to have good habits, but I think it's much more powerful than we think much, much more powerful than we think. So my habits of exercise and prayer have become deeply, deeply, deeply habitual. If I miss them, I'm like, I just don't feel right. So I've got to get every guy listening to understand that the habits, you've got to look into your life at the habits Yes, build the positive ones, but let's talk about the negative ones. The power of slowly pulling up those weeds can be can be quite something. So I, over the last few years, slowly got rid of all social media and everyone's like, oh, but, you know, it's it's such an amazing thing and you're doing, using it for good purposes. I'm going, nah, you can't sell me on it. I don't think Twitter is a net benefit for the world. I don't. I think it is. I think it's been helpful in terms of maybe getting information out when people were in conflict zones and that sort of stuff. But in general, people can have their own opinion, but I'm just like, no, nah, it's not helping me. It's not. And I slowly got rid of everything. I stopped looking at my life through Instagram. I stopped going out with my kids thinking, is this a good image? Should I shoot this photo? I just stopped. So I began to slowly weed out. Most recently it's been news websites, that constant checking news, checking news that's gone. I don't know what's next. I'll come up with something. So yeah. I think, I think I would say to every man, <clears throat> If you're going to sleep at 1am, stop going to sleep at 1am. <laughs> stop. Yeah. Just go, I'm going to go to sleep at 12.30 and walk it backwards. We can go down that, you know, there's, there's a lot of strategy I can give people on that, but ask good questions of yourself and look very deeply at your habits. Yeah. 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 That's, so that's definitely so, so let's take an example. You mentioned sleep. Um, one of the things that I struggled with for a long time, uh, was getting up when I wanted to, I, I, you know, I tried to get up earlier and earlier and I tried to like walk it back a little bit, but then I found, I would find like, um, you, you know, that's, I don't want to do that. I want to just get up at like, you know, two hours earlier. And so I just set my alarm for two hours earlier. And then of course that would not work. I would be like in such a daze and such a shock, you know, that I would just give up and go back to bed or, or uh, make it a week or two and then go back to bed and uh, or wake up when I wanted to. And, and it just was like this constant struggle. And finally, I just kind of kind of gave up on that. But I do I did like what I did manage. I did like having the extra prayer time, the extra, you know, quiet space in the morning um, to kind of get my day in order and all of these things. So that was a real struggle for me. And I, I I'm sure you have some advice on that. But like, but let's but any habit like that i think people experience that kind of roller coaster of up and down it's not it's rarely just a simple you know i'm going to stop doing this tomorrow so 
what are some like practical things that we can do to facilitate those those habit changes, which can often be painful uh, in the moment? Like it can be, it, you know, you start to feel that resistance. What do you do with the resistance? You know, how do you work? The, yeah. Well, before I'll give you my take on it, but there are some really good resources. Um, Mel, Mel Robbins did a really good book. I think it's called the five second rule. Um, I found that really helpful. Uh, her thesis is that, well, before I, I'll give you the thesis, but first of all, let me help everybody with something. Most of the time, your brain is not your friend. It's just not. I was talking to a young person last night who's really struggling with something, and we I gave her a mantra to start working with, a, a, a sort of psychological intervention, so when these thoughts come, she can start to, to, to manage it better. And I said to her, you know, I said to her, for most of my life, I kind of thought that whatever my brain was serving up was reality. And I've came to realize that most of the time what we're hearing in our minds is just not particularly helpful. And our bodies, like I said before, are constantly trying to just get us to do the least possible. So we start from realizing that if you wait, this is one of the big principles I teach. If you wait to feel like doing something that you think you should be doing, you will be waiting a very long time. Like, so the principle is this, it's um, three words that people can remember. I always teach this feelings follow actions, right? Feelings follow actions. Mm. I don't wake up at 4am thinking, I just can't wait to get out in minus six and run a half marathon. It's going to be great. I don't really feel like it. But when I come back and I'm, I had a shower and a coffee, I'm like, I'm a genius. I'm the smartest guy ever. What a brilliant idea that was. <laughs> so the first thing is, if you're sitting around thinking to yourself, yeah, Jonathan, I hear you, man. You're right. I, I should get up earlier, but I feel like it. You're not going to feel like it. You won't. You're just not going to. You, but you'll tell yourself, yeah, maybe I should. So the first thing is to stop waiting to feel like doing things. The next thing is it's really about reasons. It's really about you have to have what I just call compelling reasons, right? Mm. If you don't have compelling reasons, why bother? Like, you know, Nietzsche said this, and we don't, I don't normally quote Nietzsche on a Catholic podcast show, but, you know, Nietzsche was kind of anybody with a big enough why will survive anyhow, right? Yeah. Um, so there's the reasons part. And the other part is the narrative aspect. So this is about telling the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we find ourselves in. You've you got to start telling yourself a better story about what your life's about and what I'm, what you're here to do and contribute. So, so many guys have never really thought, what, what story am I in? What is the story here? So in all my imperfections, again, my story is like, well, I'm here to make as much contribution as I can. I'm here to take care of Karen and really try and help her and support her and get her to heaven and help her ministry. And I'm here to be, so I, I kind of get my story. So Sam, don't wait for the feelings. Um, build compelling reasons. If I do this, then what will I get? You know? Um, and then look at the story that you're telling yourself. And maybe this is helpful too. There's a really good, simple goal setting, goal setting strategy called whoop W double O P. Mm -hmm. just spin through it really fast. The first thing is the wish. When people talk about a goal, like getting up earlier, right? They're like, that's called the wish. What, what do you wish for? Well, I wish I could get up earlier. I wish I could eat less. I wish I could train more. I wish I could pray more. I wish I could get to mass on time. So we start with the W of the wish. What is it you actually wish for? What is it that you want? Is it financial? Is it physical? Is it relational? Is it spiritual? The second thing is the outcome. The second O is outcome, which is 
people kind of have a goal in their mind, but they don't actually realize that all goals are only ever serving one purpose, right? If you say to somebody, when you get your goal, what does it give you? What do you get? People go, what do you mean? I go, well, okay, Sam, you want to get up earlier. Why do you want to get up earlier? What, what, what do you get when you get that? And if you dig through that, eventually you're like, well, I'll have more self-respect. I'll have more energy. I'll feel like I'm accomplishing more. I'll feel better about myself. We're always chasing a feeling. We're always chasing an outcome. So it's the wish, what the outcome is behind your wish. Third thing is obstacles. Is They reckon this is the one most people miss. We get excited about an idea. We're like, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get up early and pray. And we never go, what are all the things that are going to make that really unlikely to happen? So we look at those things. You list the obstacles. Um, and then P is the process. So it's actually what are the actual process that you're going to follow? So Mel Robbins would say, you got to put your alarm clock in the bathroom so that it rings and annoys you and you've got yeah. to get up and go and get it. Practical process stuff. If you're married, maybe not a great idea because your spouse might like go, that's, hey, I didn't want to get up at 4 a.m. Um, yeah. So there's some of the practical things. <clears throat> know your reasons, know your story, know what you're trying to go after and why it matters to you. And then just start, just start. Um, and the other thing is Tom, uh, atomic habits, I think is a good book too. Um, yeah. Karen really likes it. I listen to the audio version. That's a good version. There's, there's tools, there's resources everywhere, but without that compelling reason, you'll stay where you are. Amen. Now you've, you've moved forward. I, and I'm, I'm curious about this because that, that's that resiliency, right? Like, so you're motivated, you're moving forward and then all of a sudden life hits, right? Kids work, you know, um, failed aspirate, your failed goal, you missed your goal, you missed your mark and stuff like that. How do you stay motivated? How do you, how do you maintain that sort of resiliency in, in the face of, of struggles? Cause I can speak for myself, uh, personally, and um, and the amount of times I've gone like one or two months successfully, and then yeah, I go on a vacation. It can be something as simple as that. I go on a vacation, it just completely disrupts my habits. And and or or yeah. a kid gets sick, or we have a new child, or something like that. Um, and the kid gets sick. Uh, how do you stay committed um, to to it, or how do you get back on the horse, so to speak? Yeah, like, what are your suggestions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Okay, number one principle. If you want to have an uncommon life, and by uncommon life, that may include stunning global success and financial success, whatever, whatever you define it or spiritual, relational, you have to make a firm decision, which has come to me more and more recently, that you cannot let the environment dictate your response. Okay? So that's a mantra for me. And, and people should listen to it carefully. You cannot let the environment dictate your response. So this comes back to the, the, the great psychological principle of locus of control, right? So... Some people would be familiar with it, but um, your sense of control of reality is either internal or external. And I know this is a paradox because I've talked about surrender, but this is a practical exercise for around goals and resilience. Yeah. If you believe that your outcomes and results are conditioned by external circumstances, it's pretty much game over. Because, you know, if you're used to comfort, you'll just go, well, I tried, but the environment did this. So for my many, 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 many sins, I'm currently coaching an under 16 division two girls soccer team. Okay. So here's a message for every father out there with young children. My daughter, who I just adore, she's 15. She loves the sport. And this email came through one night and they're like, Oh, you know, we don't have a coach this year and the season may not go ahead. And I don't know, I think maybe I'd had a beer or something, but I was like, Oh, 
it's like someone had a puppy dog and they brought it to me and it's got big eyes. Like, can we keep it? And I'm like, oh, they don't have a coach. And I'm like, oh yeah, I could do that. Right. Do I, do I ever, ever played soccer? I'm a rugby guy. I'm like, anyway, so I signed up and uh, thank the Lord for YouTube soccer videos. But anyway, so I'm coaching this team and it's like, it's, I'm hoping, I'm hoping most of the girls don't listen to Catholic men's podcast. So it's kind of like the old bad news bears, the mighty ducks. It's like, it's an eclectic mix of humans in this team. God bless my love them. They're great. And it's amazing to watch them in the first weeks, like externalize everything. Oh, the, the referee did this. This girl did this. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's too wet. It's too this. And after about week five, I pulled them together and we had a come to Jesus moment. I said, I'm going to teach you something that you can never forget for the rest of your life. And so now they've got it. They go around saying it. They're like, I cannot let the external circumstances dictate my response. So I've trained these girls to get into it and the empowerment that comes from that one thing. So all you got to do, people think, well, that's a nice idea, Jonathan, but you know, what's the evidence? Just go, go read Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning, right? Um, his time in Auschwitz or, or the other one that I really recommend to people to listen to. I just did it on audible. It's called the forgotten Highlander. It's this guy that was captured British uh, Scottish soldier captured at Singapore in 1942. Uh, and his story and just the suffering that this guy went through. Um, you can look at Louis Zamperini in that book that Angela Jolie did the movie on recently um, in Unconquerable or whatever it was. Some people can go the unbroken. Sorry. Yeah. As people can go through the most horrendous circumstances, but they do not let the circumstance dictate their response. So that's the magic. I, 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 could, I can't tell you a great deal more than resilience is about, I am committed to my outcome whatever it takes and I'm going to get the outcome, whatever it takes and I will stay committed to it. So once you pass through, it's like breaking the sound barrier. Once you go through that barrier, you're going to get there. It's like, yeah. is it too hot to run? Is it too cold to run? Do I feel like doing this? Do I not feel like whatever? It's just, I don't care what's going on in the environment. I'm committed to the outcome. I don't know how you teach that. It's like it's it's there maybe or it's not, but you can get better at it, I think. So yeah, that's my big take on the resilience piece. Um, and then there's the practical stuff, you know, surround yourself with good people, have good resources, listen to good things, have practical stuff that helps you, but just make a decision to live an uncommon life and, and go, I'm just going to get it done. Yeah, amen. No, I really appreciate that. I think that's great. It is, it is definitely a lot uh, call to masculinity and an authentic masculinity in what you're saying, you know, is, is don't, um, oh, don't be a wuss. Don't, don't allow, don't allow the, the environment to, to totally affect yeah. uh, your outcomes or, or derail you to the point where you can't get back on. So. Uh, and that's why, so, like Sam, before you, you talked about David Goggins, like, you know, I've devoured everything he's ever done. Um, and you're right. He's, he, he's got 90% of the picture, right? Um, but he's, he's the master at it. He's just like, I don't care. I, whatever happens, I'm committed to the outcome. So, yeah. and again, like, you know, Jesus said his face like flint towards Jerusalem, right? He's like, I'm going this way. I'm going there. And even Peter tries to stop him, right? Like they're just like, you're crazy. You can't do that. It's just like, Jesus is like, the environment doesn't dictate his direction. It's like, I'm going this way. I'm doing the will of the father. I'm going that way. And he just stays the course. So we have to stay the course. 
And and to, I mean, I think that's a, a kind of a natural segue to my my final question, which is, you know, there's this performance mindset, and 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 it absolutely can produce results. Like we can get things done, we can change our habits, we can we can grow. Um, and yet we, as we were talking about at the beginning, there's also this paradox of of even even higher power almost in surrender. Um, and so I, I just wanted just kind of the last question for me is like, how did you, or how are you growing in that respect? Like you mentioned some of these circumstances and, and like, I, I get in this sense that in your life, there's this paradox where they're not contrary realities. Like they, they somehow, come together in some way. And so I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, how you've you've reconciled these two different um, approaches to life, one of kind of control and performance and, you know, um, you know habit change and, and personal development, but then also this growth and surrender and this growth in your ability to let go uh, when you feel God's calling you to do that. Well, my brain's about to explode, Sam. My brain just went about 15 directions at once. Um, very quickly, the first thing I'd say is we're in the realm of mystery and paradox. And uh, I, I, in one of my videos this week, I put out a beautiful quote from Cardinal Sara, who was talking about the need for daily adoration, which is something I try to get to most days. He said, because it, it's in that, he said, it's in that adoration that we're born, we're reborn in our humanity and we in he makes a comment about mystery. Like we've lost the capacity for deep mystery as a culture. And often as people of faith, like some things are just mysterious. So my first thing is like, yeah, it's mysterious. How do I balance this kind of trust and letting go while at the same time trying to uh, really do stuff and build things and, and reach people. Maybe this helps something that's happened uh, an insight I've had recently I think there's a lot of parallels between how God fathers us and what we see as we father children, you know, and I know not everybody listening has kids, but this should still hold. My oldest daughter, who I'm just so proud of, you know, she just, she went through a lot. She, she, she sort of had a pretty difficult time before we took her out of school and she, she was struggling a lot. And I have just seen her, we created the environment where she could flourish again, but my gosh, the things that she has stepped into and just faced fears and pushed herself and done things that she didn't think she could do. And you see her and, and this joy that comes in the heart of a father and, and in Karen's heart too. My point is that I reckon when we do stuff and we face what's makes us afraid and we try hard, I think the heart of the father just lights up. I think God kind of looks at us and he wants us to, to grow. I mean, because I feel it. And if I feel it, it must be a tiny echo of what the father heart of God feels, right? Like maybe if God looks at my life and he sees obviously what it could have happened to me, I'd like to think, you know, and I've struggled with the father heart of God my whole life for obvious reasons, but I think he's cheering us on and, Yes, it's both surrender and trust, but it's also at the same moment, he loves it when we're trying. Um, so COVID 
the government response to COVID wiped us out, right? Like we lost so much. We lost most of our business and I lost most of my career and mm. went through this very long wilderness. And so now I'm like, I've had trust forced upon me. I'd love to tell you I chose it because I was super holy. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I just trust the Lord. I'm like, no, nah, I got bludgeoned into submission and kind of <laughs> just went, life is so hard. It's we've had so much loss. So there's this, I'm just, I'm just on this journey of like, God, I'm confused half the time. I'm not sure what you're telling me to do, but I'm just gonna keep getting up each day and trying to um reach you know i'm doing 14 videos a week across the two platforms that i do and i'm like i just keep trying i just keep getting up and keep getting up and keep getting up and trust that if i stay close to god um in prayer and that he'll figure it out he'll he'll nudge me in the right direction so long another one of my long answers sam but i think he's happy when we try because i'm happy when my kids try so i think there's something in that yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, um, this is a good segue, Jonathan, for you to tell us a little bit about our men and our listeners. Uh, there's like a five other questions I have, but we don't have time for them. So we're going to take a moment. I'd like you to tell us and my listeners, our listeners, um, how they can find more about you. I know you just launched two new YouTube channels. Actually, both of them are really great. Um, I, I've watched videos on both of them. I give you a thumbs up and stuff like that. Uh, I encourage our listeners to do the same. But and there's not just that. Let us know where you can find more about you, where you can stay connected. Maybe your new book, you know, we can throw that into the show notes, all of those things. I'd love to hear from you, Jonathan, what you'd like to uh, let the listeners know. Yeah, thanks, John. Look, the easiest way, I'd, I'd push everyone to YouTube, but um, I'm sure YouTube's buried me so deep, you know, because I talk about things of faith that people mm. need a shovel to find me there at the moment. Um, the simplest way for my broad motivational stuff, which isn't explicitly Christian, but it's a, more about peak performance motivation would be simply jonathandoyle.co. That's jonathandoyle.co.co, not .com. Um, and, you know, there's free stuff there. You can grab free access to my first book. And um, so that's that one. If you're in the Catholic education space or any kind of Catholic ministry, I do a, a, a heap of stuff for Catholic teachers at onecatholicteacher.com. So that's O-N-E. Um, and that'll take you through all the YouTube videos. And then I'm on I'm podcasting uh, on everywhere with uh, the daily podcast with Jonathan Doyle. And then there's also a Catholic teacher podcast. So those are probably the two easiest ways to find me. Um, and uh, yeah, look, people can email me straight up, Jonathan at jonathandoyle.co. That's helpful. You won't find me, unfortunately, in other places much. So it's YouTube, the yeah. website and uh, and the podcast. So, yeah, well, thanks for you guys chucking in the show notes. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I love it. And so any last words that you'd like to say to motivate um, the men that are listening? Yeah, the last thing I'd say is if you look at the story of um, of, you know, Joseph going down into Egypt and um, Finally, when he is uh, when he is reunited with his brothers, he he famously says to them, "You know what what you intended for evil, God meant for good." And as I look at my life and I look at all that I have lived through, and, and um, it's amazing to see what God has done and is still doing through my life. So I want to just say to every guy listening, you're in a much bigger story, and no matter what you've been through, where you are right now, God's still writing it. And um, whether it means you've got to overcome trauma or something, you know, or whether you just got to get clear about what you want to do for, with the time you've got left, 
just get in the game. Just get off the couch, get in the game, just get started, just start. All right. Get yeah. in the game. And, um, and simply because we need your contribution. It's not about, you know, the super yacht. It's about, we need your contribution. The world desperately needs good men. We desperately need good priests, good husbands, good fathers. We need you. We need you in the game. So get off the sidelines and get on the field. Yeah. Amen. Well, Jonathan, we're so thankful that you would join us here today. So really thanks for your time, your wisdom, your, your humility and, uh, and the honesty. It's just been a blessing for us. Yeah. I love it. Thanks guys. Thanks, Sam. I, I just love what you guys do. And, uh, I really pray and it's going to prosper and uh, reach more and more men. So God bless what you're doing. God bless your families. And, uh, and thanks for not trying to do impersonations of Australian accents during the show. (laughs) 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 So as we like to end every episode, be a man, be a saint.